Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Yes, indeed. Welcome again to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and at podcasts.com, wherever you pick up your podcasts. Also Spotify, iTunes, etc. Did get quite a bit of a comment uh, about part one of our special, if we wanted to call it Death of the A-Grade podcast last week with Andy Patterson from the Barara Wallabies. We felt it was fair to try and get as many opinions on this as possible. And tonight, in part two of the Death of the A-Grade podcasts series, we go to the other side of the escarpment, across to the northern beaches, to the northern peninsula, who are just as much feeling the pain of no A-grade standalone competition in the Manly District and in the Northern Corridor for the first time in 75 plus years. And it's fair enough to go to a man who has seen it all, lived it, breathed it. He's been at the front line as a ground manager and a stats person at one of the biggest and best Manly-based A-grade clubs. In their prime, the Valley United Spartans were, if not the dominant force, one of the dominant forces in the A-grade competition. Much uh, loathed, but also respected for what they brought to the table. He then added his talents to the Peninsula Seagulls concept and those three fabulous years that they had, making three preliminary finals from scratch in the Sydney Shield. These days... He's making a return, at least temporarily, back to the A-grade with the Narrabeen Sharks as part of their staff as they continue to fly the flag and keep the torch burning for the game in these parts in the combined inner-city conference gold competition against other A-grade sides from across Sydney as well as a couple of local sides. He's been a friend of ours for a long time. He's a member of our commentary team and a man certainly with his opinions that he's not afraid to give in this podcast series. I speak of the man called Stats, Steve Woodley. Good evening to you and welcome to Splinters. Oh, good evening, Tony, and thank you for having me aboard on this uh, very special um, conversation we're going to have. So Indeed. I'm, I'm looking forward to voicing my opinion. I wish we were having it under different circumstances, though. Absolutely. As we know, uh, the Manly North Side Great Competition has not been played for as a standalone competition this year, and five teams, as it is now, in the Manly District, none in North Sydney at all are playing their trade, doing their thing in combined competitions with other teams from Canterbury, Bankstown, Parramatta and Western Suburbs this year. Let me take you back to the beginning and find out, in your opinion, where it all went wrong. Where do you think it all went wrong? Where was the beginning of the decay? How did we get to this? I think um, looking back, and obviously I joined the Valley Football Club at, uh, uh, in 2004, but I've been a fan of uh, Valley United ever since I moved to Sydney as a teenager back in 1984. So I've been watching um, junior football for 20 years here on the on the peninsula. And the rest? Yes. And, uh, oh, yes, yeah, actually, a lot longer than that. So, um, um, so 35, it's my 35, yeah, correct. So, so you've seen it all and you've seen the highs and the lows. Yes, yeah. Well, when I first come down here, there were 14 teams uh, in the competition. That was just merely alone. We didn't have North Sydney attached to it. Didn't need it. No, didn't need it. So, but when I 
I joined in 2004, the competition was starting to wane and there was a lot of concern back then. I think at one stage, it might have been 2005 season, I think there might have only been four teams or um, and we had a couple of, we had a stronger reserve grade than we did A grade. So there was always a lot of concerns back in that time and a lot of people can put it down to money, um, saying there was too much money coming into the into the game and there were clubs that were, were paying plays which is correct but I think the whole I think the whole um, outlook on society had changed I think you find back in the if you go back to the 70s and 80s where it was the cost of living was probably a little bit more acceptable um, and you were having players um, play for virtual virtually no money I think there was a bit of money floating around but not great deals of money but you know with the change of society and now it's um, you know the cost of living especially around on the northern beaches is um, exceedingly high that you know players were especially a lot of the players who were playing um, not only just for Valley but for other sides like Narrowena and Narrabeen uh, Belrose there was a bit of money floating around these guys are uh, self-employed tradesmen in most cases uh, and if they were to get any, in, any injuries and lose time off off uh, work and stuff like that it's very um, expensive for them so um, I thought it was um, deemed necessary that they, they that they got played paid for playing a very tough game. Um, some teams could afford it because they had sponsorships. Obviously, at Valley we had Harbord Beach Hotel that was um, that was sponsoring us, and um, um, other there were other uh, clubs that had major sponsors that were able to pay their players. But then you find other clubs that just couldn't do it. So was, was that a game. problem? Because a lot of people point the bone straight at Mr. Thorpe, the owner of the Harbord Hilton, Harbord Beach Hotel, in that period from 2004 right through to say 2012, the last year that I call it of the, of the great traditional Manly Northside mm. great competitions where you had Michael Vella getting paid in his last year on his return from playing in the Super League in England, $1,000 a game yeah. reportedly mm. to play to play A grade for Valley United and a lot of people say that it was clubs like Valley paying their players that forced other clubs to pull out because they just simply couldn't compete because they had no money. Yeah, well look you, you can point it at, at to that but I'm I'm under the belief that a rising tide rises all ships and it was up to the other clubs to be proactive and get out there and rattle the can a bit and try and, and try and get sponsorships gets yeah, a, a lot easier said than done I, I know that and there's no, not every club has a Harbord Beach Hotel as well uh, to help them out but in saying that as well we knew what the uh, what the law of the land was even though it was an unofficial law of the land um, and I just think some some clubs and some club officials um, just sat on their hands and maybe used the whole um, oh they're paying their players excuse if you want to call it that um, but they used that as a reason to um, you know not get out there and have a go and I think they they took the easy option whereas uh, you know yes it's hard and, and everybody's um, after the sponsorship dollar and it's and it's um, getting harder and harder each year but um, you know at, at that stage when it was still a strong competition there was still people out there and you know you're only your people were willing to pay that amount to get players to their club so yeah it's look in all in all, I could say um, people. I know why people would say that paying players was an issue, but in my mind, I don't think that was the major issue. I think it was laziness from uh, other clubs that uh, that caused the situation we have now. What about 
You mentioned some administrators sat on their hands. What about some officials, you know, men who did their best, but people like Eric Galloway, Peter O'Dwyer, Mick Covey. Some would say that they sat on their, their hands, they fell asleep at the wheel, that things happened on their watch that led to a rapid decay. There was perhaps some self-interest. What do you say to all of those possible reasons and some of that finger-pointing at some of those individuals? Yes, oh, look, I can see why, but I don't. I don't think, I, I can't really point the finger at them to say under their watch. What I think what was happening was that there was too many people off doing different things and we weren't really going forward together. Um, and that's what we needed. We needed a strong administer uh, to, uh, to able to get all the clubs under the one umbrella and move forward. It was, um, I think there was stronger clubs doing their own thing. Um, we were guilty of it at Valley. Sometimes we would thumb our noses at the at the uh, Junior League um, because we weren't getting where we wanted to go. We could all see the writing on the wall. We all knew this, this day was going to come, but we had we had so many people who were bringing were happy to bring forward ideas, but they weren't really taken on board by the whole Manly Junior League. And there were other was that was that who, because of inter club rivalry? I, I became, think so. It became from oh, this has come from someone from Avalon. So I think uh, so. Oh, this I has come from was... someone Eric Galloway and Belrose and he wants to look after Belrose. It was, was it a case of too many people looking at their own clubs and not at the big picture? Correct. That's exactly what I think happens, and I think that was that was uh, definitely definitely missed. And yeah, you know, we brought up some. Um, you know, we had that concept very early in the piece. I think it would have been around about 2005, 2006. Called it the V8s. It was the Valley Eights tournament that we had there as sort of a pre-season mm. uh, competition. Where the first time we got we got teams from from the country. We got a Fijian team in. We got teams from yep. Queensland, and we were trying to push this forward. All the money raised for it, and this was this was the problem that we had. And uh, I remember Peter Kelly came up with the concept, and there was Peter Kelly, Anthony Rule, who were really pushing it. And the whole reason was it was to raise money for the Day of Difference, which was the Sophie D'Alessio Foundation. Yep. And all money goes in there. We brought it up to the Junior League. The Junior League laughed at us and said, "Oh, that money's just going back to the to the Valley." So there were people who were very skeptical of us. None of the money went back to Valley. None of the money. In fact, John Thorpe was very critical of us because he wanted to see some of the money go back to Valley. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to send, give all the profits from there. Obviously, we had to pay our way and the dollars that we raised from that obviously had to pay for certain things. But any money and any profits that we made was to go to the Sophie D'Alessio Foundation. We ran for two years and we couldn't get forward anymore because it was a problem getting teams and it was a problem even getting support from the Junior League as well. So I think I think the the junior league was very splintered, and you know, and that was that that was probably the reason too why the competition got so farcical towards the end, and and the rise of the Peninsula Seagulls came came. We'll in come to it. that a little bit later in this podcast, but take me then through your opinion on what happened at the senior level, at the district club level, because that surely played a part. I mentioned last week that on the North Shore side of the escarpment, if I had a dollar for every person that walked away from the game when the Northern Eagles concept was pushed through by News Limited in their 14-team failed NRL model for that 2000 season that only lasted a couple of years, mm. um, only thanks to George Piggins and the South Sydney Court Challenge, etc., that 
a lot of people walked away from the game because North Sydney pretty much were kiboshed, thrown to the wolves, and it was a manly takeover. But there was also a lot of angst on this side of the peninsula too because some identity was lost, and that's raising its ugly head now in the talk of the possibility of Manly losing its identity in the competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, that was a, that was a marriage that was never going to work, uh, unfortunately. I remember just before that, just before that um, merger happened, I think it might have been the 98 or the 99 season. 20 North, years ago, yeah. North Sydney actually stated to everyone that they're, they're moving lock, stock and barrel up to the Central Coast and the Central Coast was going to be their, mm. their home and they were building that new stadium there. Yeah. I remember we had a horrendous weather like I think it was six months of solid rain of 1999 yes and the 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 building of the of the stadium was was put back and basically it left Norths in a no win situation where they didn't have their home ground built and then this this whole takeover and uh, you know the kicking out of the the teams came through so it was let's let's not and North Sydney people better realise this too they were gone there were two teams that were kicked out of the competition because they couldn't meet the criteria. Those two teams were North and South Sydney. Manly could have just gone ahead on their own and just done nothing. But Although South Sydney were booted out for political reasons. Oh, of course. But but North Sydney were the other team. Technically speaking, by the criteria, Penrith, frankly, should have been booted out ahead of South Sydney in 1999. But But yes. In saying that, Mm. so really, Manly could have just put their hands up and said, no, we're going to go it on our own. And so North Sydney came in. So And and I remember going up to games on the Central Coast and you see people with bumper stickers on their cars with a bear symbol going, bears forever, sea eagles now. And that just said to me, this thing isn't going to work. This whole Northern Eagles thing isn't going to work. And it was they had a pretty good side too, to be honest. But they just... It never gelled. It, just, it never clicked. It, it never gelled. And no, nah, it was just a, it was a marriage that was, um, you know, I remember um, speaking to a former a former uh, first grader who uh, played for North Sydney and played for the Northern Eagles and played for Belrose as well. You might know him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't say his name on here, sure. but I think, I think you might might yep. know who he is mm-hmm. uh, and I remember about three or four years after it was happening he was still playing for Belrose I was chatting to him up at Belrose Hotel one night and uh, he just said it was oil and water don't mix alright what about the example set or the lack of when you talk about the when you want to talk about the the problems that beset um, administration the example or lack of set by the Manly Club itself, with the infighting, the splitting of the of the of the board three ways, the Max Delmege rescue era, followed by the Quantum era, followed by the Penn family buying in, and then the Riley family, the Leagues Club and its problems. It wasn't really the best of examples to set for people wanting to follow the game at levels below first grade in the NRL, was it? No, look, I think. Uh with most organisations whether it be sporting or uh, business or whatever the fish rots at the head and that's really what we've seen it just goes to show too Manly what a magnificent playing group that Manly team from the late tens to the early from the late zeros I should the say late noughties, the, early, the late noughties into the mid tens what a great playing group they've got because their ball well, they was had, a yeah. basket case well it was split and, three ways for about and, four years there and look at the success they had 
four no, you know, four grand finals, two premierships, two premierships. Um, you know the the two thousand and eight forty nil victory, which is you know, but that's a long time ago. It now. is a long time ago, but it just goes to show with a strong playing group what you can what you can achieve. You know, I, I don't think we'll ever see another another team like that, especially with a with a basket case of a board. I don't think you would you'd see another team have that kind of success. That's how special that playing group was. But you know, with all that's been going on, you know, and we've been saying it, and you know, you've heard me say it for years too, Tony, and you've been saying it too that that, that we were heading down a path where we was this this whole A grade competition, which at its peak was there was no there was no other district. Who could it was come the close strongest A grade competition in Sydney no, without one question. Could come close to us. The grand final days of Brookvale Oval yeah. were something special with five six thousand people exactly turning right. up absolutely to watch an A grade grand final day where it was one of the biggest days on the peninsula and the North Sydney clubs of strength like Asquith and Barrara that came in mm. that famous day in 2008 the Barrara became the first North Sydney club to yeah. uh, win a combined uh, Manly North's competition and then Asquith became the last team to win in the last year of the of the best of the A grade in yeah. 2012 before things changed mm. now what about that? What about the the move of Asquith and Belrose on those two separate occasions? Firstly, they move into the Jim Boone competition, the Jim Boone Cup, as it was then known in uh, 2006 yeah. for those two seasons when they perhaps saw the writing on the wall the first time. And then again in 2013, the final move. A lot of people around the place say that was the, that was the real beginning of the end of the A-grade competition when Asquith and Belrose upped stakes and moved across into those competitions. What's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, look, I think it probably was, but I, I don't I don't blame Belrose or Asquith for doing it. I think they had every right to do it, and I, I applaud them for doing it. I think what... And uh, Steve Gearan's also, I remember the first night, uh, the first Belrose Peninsula Seagulls game um, we had afterwards in the in the um, clubhouse afterwards, Steve Gearan got up and thanked Belrose for doing what they did because it was uh, it was that was sort of planted the seed in Steve and Gary's mind to get Peninsula Seagulls up and running. It should have come that sort of thing should have come from the from the, the District Rugby League Club. Shouldn't have come from a club like a Belrose or a conglomerate of different clubs to raise something. That should have been an initiative. And a couple of people did bring it up in meetings um, before. I know Matt Brown actually brought it up a few times. It's ironic you bring up his name because yeah. we're going to come to him later. Yes, but um, it was mentioned a couple of times to nothing from the District Junior League. So I applaud Belrose and Asquith for having the initiative to do it. And uh, yeah, I only wish it was coming from the District Junior Rugby League rather rather than the clubs themselves. But I take my hat off to them for it. Well, we then move into the era post-2012. Uh, before we do that, then what about the incidents of not just over the last 10 to 15 years, the the sensationalising the trivial and the trivialising the sensational of the off-field incidents every summer, but the on-field incidents involving people, you know, let's mention the man's name, John Hopawati, all right? You know, the, the punch on Joel Latham in that A-grade game at Nolan's Reserve in, in, in 2011. The incident and even a Beverly Job Reserve last year, which lasted 
all of three minutes. I was there that night and I saw exactly what happened and was witness to the three minutes that John Hoppelardi spent on the field in that fateful second half. Uh, plus the alleged or perceived favouritism that clubs associated with him got out of fear over supposed repercussions. And then I think of the Battle of Belrose, the riot, the near riot where police were called on that infamous Saturday afternoon in 2012. Uh, that directly led to Asquith, I know for a fact, making the final decision to walk away from the A grade at the end of that season. That None of that surely helped either. No, and it didn't. And um, that sort of behaviour can't be tolerated. And I think, um, again, we needed someone with a little bit of strength at uh, at the top of the tree to be able to nip that in the bud very quickly. A lot of and people the, say Eric Galloway wasn't strong enough at that time. Yeah, well, whoever, I, whoever was um, at the or whoever was the president of the junior league at that time needed to needed to really clamp down on it. Um, John's I don't know John personally. He's a very influential person, especially in the Polynesian community. Um, you speak to a lot of people, and he's got divided opinions. You'll have people who love him. You have people who absolutely who don't, yep. who don't like him. He brings a profile to the game, sometimes an unwanted profile. But obviously, he's got um, he's got a, he's vast experience in the game of rugby league, and he's played at the highest level. And his um, passion for the game is the unquestioned, game, without a doubt. And that's what we—that's what we have to—we have to maintain, but we also have to channel it into the right areas. And I think we just didn't have the right people who we, it was getting channeled into the wrong areas. And of course, it was. It ended up in newspapers for all the wrong reasons. Um, that's why you need somebody with strength at the top to really be able to um, nip those things in the bud, but also to give other clubs peace of mind that what's occurred isn't going to happen again. Because I, I, I know for a fact that there were a lot of clubs who were, who were scared off. And to be totally honest, you don't blame them in a way to... You go to play the game of rugby league. You don't go there to, to uh, just watch it. Well, I know for a fact for, that a game that I called the year after... I'm going to Nolan's Reserve and standing on top of a of, of an amenity shed and being given any number of boosts on the back of garbage bins to call a game at Nolan's Reserve between Asquith and Manly uh, Cove the following year, police were called by Asquith and there were at least two off-duty policemen patrolling the ground mm. that day yeah. uh, out of what happened the previous yeah. year. Yeah. Look, the last thing before we take a break and go into the Peninsula Seagull story, what went wrong, what went right there, and the future is also the spectre of players from outside the district playing in the junior league at the junior level, at that critical, as Andy Patterson pointed out last week, 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, 19s, 20s level, where the numbers have fallen through the floor, badly. The incident swept under the carpet, the 2017 under-19s grand final, between, under-17s grand final, I should say, between Avalon and Beacon Hill, between a bunch of locally based juniors in Avalon and a bunch of juniors in inverted commas bust in from outside the Manly District uh, wearing Beacon Hill jumpers. Avalon won the game. Beacon Hill reacted. A number of players were charged and found guilty and were given long suspensions. But was that the last straw for the junior league as far as attracting numbers to the game in this district? Yeah, I think that's that and another th- uh, a lot of things were factors in that. Um, that was just disgraceful. 
and um, I think the fact that they're bussing people in from outside areas to play in this um, in this well they did they're not yeah. anymore no they're not but I think the fact that they did that was absolutely disgraceful as well and that was another thing that we knew we, we knew that was going on they will the people in question will probably say the only reason they'll do it is because the numbers were dwindling but the reason why the numbers were dwindling is we were seeing stack side coming up in the 14s 15s we were having people from outside I know here at Harbour Devils there were there were parents getting letters from the other club we'll say Beacon Hill Bears getting letters to say that their chance of their, of their kids playing representative football for Manly in the Manly rep sides would be would be greatly enhanced if they went up there to Beacon Hill and what was happening then is they had a stack side and of course the other teams that were a lot weaker and especially with these kids who you're trying to keep in the game are getting pounded every week no wonder they were forfeiting and they, and that is the issue that we've got It's it should never have been allowed to happen to begin with and it should have been again it should have been someone with a little bit more clout at the junior league but there's a lot there's a lot of people behind the scenes pulling on the puppet strings and um, you know they've got they get to that they get their own way at the end of the day and that's not the way it should be this shouldn't be about someone's ego it should be about your kids having a good time playing the greatest game of all and the future of the game and the future of the game exactly right and that was that was put in they were putting all that beside for their own personal ego and that is absolutely disgusting and the fact that the uh, that that this was allowed to happen by influential people pushing their own barrow they need to walk in a room full of mirrors and have a good long hard look at themselves because they've destroyed they've destroyed rugby league on here is it going to come back I'm very doubtful well we're going to come to that in the second half of this podcast because it's about time we take a break gather our thoughts and come back because after the break we're going to talk Peninsula Seagulls we're going to talk about what's happening now because you're seeing what's happening now and then your thoughts on the future. I've already seemed to think I've got the answer to a couple of questions I'm going to ask you already about whether this code is a basket case in these parts. Can it be saved? What's going to happen if the worst happens with Manly? And what happens the day that the Penn family decides to sell their franchise in the National Rugby League? All of that and more coming up as we continue with this Death of the A-Grade special on Splinters. It's time to hit the ice. You're all about caring Sydney Bears are back for the 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season with all the speed, hits and goals that ice hockey is famous for. Buy a season ticket package to ensure you're not left out in the cold as your Bears rip and tear with the aim of going one better on last year to claim the 2019 Good All Cup. Log on to bearsden.com.au for all your season ticket and merchandise options. And for the latest Bears news and updates, tune in to The Bench every Friday from 6pm. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and on the web www.triplehfm.com.au and at podcasts.com. That's podcasts, plural.com or wherever else you pick up your podcasts at Spotify, iTunes, etc. My name is Tony Dyson, the Sultan. I've got Steve Woodley, former Valley United, former Peninsula Seagulls, now Narrabeen Sharks uh, administrator, lover of the game, on the other side of the escarpment the 
northern beaches side, the Insula Peninsula, for those that like to call it. But And also, not forgetting, X-Radio Northern Beaches, that Wednesday night program you had all those years ago with Dave Hoban that yes. discussed <laughs> rugby league and all of its best bits uh, at that time. All right, let's talk all things uh, Peninsula Seagulls very briefly. You mentioned that the idea came from Belrose's venture into that Sydney Shield in 2013. The way they so thrillingly won that Sydney Shield at the first attempt, those battles they had with Wentworth Phil mm. Magpies in that final series, that great grand final which they'd won and it pricked something with a couple of people on the Peninsula thought, you know what? This is not working. Things are going downhill. The A grade that uh, was put forward in 2013 after Belrose and Asquith took off and left did border upon farce when you had an all-in combined competition and two Valley sides their first and reserve grades both played in the end against each other in a knockout semi-final and I'll never forget calling that day at Harbord Park in the last round the last home and away round in that competition because we'd done our own tables during the season because the official tables were so unreliable off the of website course. It was, yes. it was not funny. But in that last round, the shock of shocks, the main Valley United side were beaten by, if my memory serves me correctly, Narrabeen of all people. I think it was Narrawina. Oh, sorry, Narrawina. I think it was Narrawina. Yes, Narrawina yes. beat them in the last round. Mm. Narrawina had to win to finish in that uh, uh, in the top position. Correct. And that pushed Valley down into second and forced them to play the other Valley side in a semi-final whilst Narrabeen and Narrawina played the Fair Dinkum semi-final across the way That's at wrong. Beverly Job Reserve. And the farcical scenes, I never got there that day. It's probably one of the great regrets of my calling <laughs> career that I didn't get there to call that uh, that semi-final because we're in the middle of a Ron Massey and Sydney Shield final series at that time involving Belrose. But you were there that day. Take me through the events and what led to the idea that led to the birth of the Peninsula Seagulls. Yeah, I, I mean, think... all sorts of stories are borne out about yeah. there were tutus allegedly or netball bibs and whatever the case may be what actually was did it become a game of glorified tag it was um, it was um, Teddy Lyons refereed the game that's uh, yeah yeah, yeah refereed was, the game the former yeah, NRL yeah. first grade referee yeah. uh, what happened and take me through that well look I think we all knew before uh, one thing I will say well is, it was a shock that it was the unthinkable that I the two I, valley sides didn't expect to play each other no we didn't and, and what, then, what, what we were what we obviously were hoping for was that we would finish on. I think actually, what happened was, if I if I I think Valley Twos might have might no, have no, finished they finished second. third. They, they finished did finish third. third. Okay. Well, what what we were obviously what we were hoping for was, and this would have been even worse if it turned out that the grand final would have been. But I think what what we were 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 hoping. But both for sides would have put on a decent grand final out of respect. Oh, of course they would not have. The, rules, uh, the, the 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 talk was if we got in the grand final it was game on it was game on and Lockie Beasley who was the coach of the reserve grade he was he was we got into a lot of arguments Lockie is one of my best mates but that year we got into a lot of arguments because remember during that season Narrabeen flogged us at Lake Park in the first game went on to mean us I mean Valley Ones flogged them I think it was a, I think it was like a 24 
point thirty point flogging. But then about two or three weeks later, Valley Twos came along and flogged them by about thirty points, and that was when we got our first look at Jake Pickering. Jake Pickering tore him. He was only eighteen years old at that mm. stage, playing mm. halfback. Yeah, and he tore them to shreds. And they, their side was exactly the same side that beat the Valley Ones. On the back of that, Lockie Beasley started saying, "Well, my team's the top team now, and so I should have." That. And so we had a little bit of infighting between between us all. But cooler heads prevailed, and when we got to the semi-finals, Lockie Lockie understood that it was all about it was all about the A grade or the ones. And when when it came when it worked out, we we're going to play each other in the final. We knew straight away there was going to be just an imposed session, and that's what it was. I I was I can remember being at the game and seeing people um, people were walking past me going, "This is bloody disgraceful," and walking out the door because we were just playing an opposed session. At one stage, there um, the fullbacks were Blake Burton and Scott Kenner, and they they um, got they're pretty good mates too. And they spoke before the game and said, "Let's get into a kicking duel." So there was about a five minute kicking duel in the middle of the game. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. Bring them back. Bring them back. The old eighty exactly. style football. But yeah, that was farcical. And from that, um, Steve Gearan has been always been mates with Gary Petherbridge, and they were always having chats at Narrabeen Pub about it all. And then Steve went to Gary and said, um, um, oh, "We need to do something." And I think that put a put a seed in Gary's head. And um, it wasn't long till after the season um, that that's. I think it might have been. Um, in fact, Steve came up to me and it was before the season was over and said to me, "What do you think about getting a team together um, and going into the Sydney Shield?" And I said, "I think we're Valley are actually thinking of doing it." And Steve said, "Oh well, if that's the case, we'll leave it at that." But then um, there were the discussions there. The discussions. And a lot of people forget that Valley United had the opportunity. They had the yes. resources. They had yep. the finances. Yep. They had the dollars. They probably could have had the ground in time with some resources invested to be a very good Sydney Shield club. Yeah. But certain forces elsewhere decided to be a big fish in a little pond, and the opportunity. Was yeah. Lost. Well, look, it was. We were always on the back of our sponsorship from Harbord Beach Hotel, and um, you know they were investing. A, at one stage, they were investing an enormous amount of money into the competition. Um, they weren't investing as much at that stage, and for uh, what for would have been at their peak, fifty thousand a year, or more, hundred thousand a year. I would say it's closer to that. So, That's remarkable. Yeah. Um, and but um, I, I'm guessing in saying because that's, that's the sort of money they would have needed to kept the, a good quality Seagulls like Sydney Shield team going competitive winning yes and that's what um, that's what that's what was needed but they weren't they wanted to um, maintain a local identity um, they didn't really want to um, go Sydney wasn't they didn't want to fork the money out to do that and um, so the so that was knocked on the head pretty quickly I was I was at the board meeting when that got knocked on the head so I went straight back to Steve and said no Valley aren't going ahead, and um, that's when he's that's when um, met up with Steve and Gary, had a quick chat, and Gary said, "Well, we better get the whips cracking." And that's that about five minutes later, I picked up the phone and phoned up Dave Norman, and Dave's words were me. He goes, "Oh, you're leaving it late," and he goes, "But uh, let's see what we can do." I think that was in like November of 2013. I made that phone call, and we had some real, we really had some uh, some um, yeah, we had some rattling of the can to do, and um, you know, sounding out players. 
Yes, as well. So it's remarkable that uh, three years you had, but that first season, no. that 2014 season, probably lives on. It's hard to believe it's five years ago now. Lives on as one of the most um, incredible seasons that any club has had. Yeah. The 18 straight wins off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, the other more experienced, established clubs saying that the Seagulls should go straight into Ron Massey Cup because this is a Ron Massey uh, quality team. But then the chinks in the armour, the loss at McCready in round 19. Yeah. Belrose pulling your pants down in that qualifying so final yeah. at uh, Ringrose Park in the wet. wet. Yep. And then the brilliance of the late Wade Dunley in yeah. that preliminary final at Lidcombe Oval, which yeah. saw your season come to an end when it was the great dream of a Belrose versus Peninsula Seagulls grand Green final, final. Yeah. was alive coming to Lidcombe Oval on that fateful Saturday in mm. 2014 and ended up with the middle of a donut because both Belrose and the Seagulls got beaten on that day. Yeah, it was... Uh, I can I can always... I remember um, I remember Paul Vorton at the end of the 87 grand final saying to Canberra, um, who'd done miraculously well to make that grand final that yep. year, he says, your season was like a fairy tale, but unfortunately the last page of the book got ripped out and that's what it felt like for us. It was an amazing ride. Still, in all my years of um, football, it's still the greatest year of football I've ever had. Um, hands down, I had some great years at Valley, some fantastic years. Uh, the 2006 where we won all three grades was probably um, right up there, but that year with um, Peninsula Seagulls was just uh, an amazing, amazing year of football and really um, you know, just typified to me what, why I love rugby league so much. Um, yeah, look, we had we had, we had had we had our backs against the wall the whole year, um, but we had such a phenomenal group of blokes there and they were... Just, you won 22 of 25 games in that first season. Yeah, and they were so talented, um, but they clicked so well off the field, and I think that's what 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 was so great about that. It's amazing. I was talking to uh, Frank McKee, the coach of um, Narrabeen, about it um, on the way back from our game on Sunday out at Bankstown, and I was just saying it was bus trips like this that made our team. Like, we had guys from Valley, guys from Narrabeen, and guys from Narrabeen. They all knew each other, but they were... Um, they were... They, like, they, they had beers with each other and everything like that, but they, they got a real closeness to them. And it was um, it was like a brotherhood that we had there. And we had guys like Luke Martin, who came down from the Central Coast. Um, Tarrant Mariner, who was playing out at Western Suburbs. Um, he came over. And we had, um, you know, we had a guy like uh, Ben Gorman, who came down from Woolgooga on the North Coast. Um, Joy Jones. And yeah. they all, and we just gelled. And then you had Ryan Wheeler, of all people, Ryan the old Wheeler. hardhead, the character from exactly. Asquith. Exactly, yep. And it just all, it just all gelled so beautifully. And, you know, out of, it's it's a shame that we didn't get the the um, the success that really that season deserved because you've got you've got to show up on one day in in September or uh, and and win it. Um, we never got to that final day. Um, you know, you can point and say we we got a lot of injuries late. I think too, if we if we'd gotten through on that game against East Campbelltown, we were cooked. We wouldn't have. I don't think we would have beaten Mounties or Belrose in the, in that grand final. It was a very long season. Those guys were used to playing about 16, 17 games a year. Not 25. Not 25. And I think that's what got us in the end. And we got, you know, we lost Luke Martin um, two weeks before the semifinals to an ACL. We lost Willie Bishop the week before the finals. So, you know, two of our key members of that, and that made it hard. And look on the day too. Wade Dunley was brilliant. Oh, he just, yeah, the late, great uh, Wade Dunley, he took that. We We were up by about 14 points, I think, at half time, and then they had the breeze, and the first set 
a six, he kicks a 40-20, and then he controlled the game from there. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. How important would it have been for the Seagulls financially, commercially, to have won that premiership in year one? I believe we'd still be here as a Peninsula Seagulls if we did win it in that first year. I truly believe that. I, we got so much. We were we were getting really good press from Manly Daly. John Geddes was really was really good with us. Um, we were we were, I was it was funny. All my mates were phoning me up or sending me messages going, "How are the goals going? How are the goals going?" I never got that at Valley, mm. but when I was at the goals, the people were go, former A graders, even guys like Hayden Stevens who who declined the 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 offer to come with the cigar. He was always interested in how we were going. We had our detractors as well too. There are a couple old Valley Valley hardheads who uh, weren't too happy with because me. Because a lot of people say that the Seagulls' introduction hastened the demise oh, of the A grade. And I, I agree with them. I actually agree with them on that. But we had to do it. We had to do it or we were going to lose these players. Some of those guys weren't even going to run around. They were either going to go to rugby union or they weren't going to play at all. So we kept a few of those players in the game for a few more years because of it. And I think it did hasten up the, the demise of the A grade. But you know what? We were doing it for the good of the we were doing it for the good of the district and that's what we wanted it to be. If we just had the district support, it could have been a pathway. And that brings me to my next point. How important would it have been that the opportunity was there for whoever it was, the district club, the Penn franchise, whatever the case may be, the influential figures in the game, uh, immortals, etc., that they gave nothing more but lip service to this concept when if it was done right with the right amount of funding with the right amount of support that not only would the A grade perhaps have stood alone in its own right but it would have been a great nursery for the pathway for the Seagulls to lead the way to the Manly franchise and the NRL for the best local players to never leave the district yeah yeah look I think that was and that was the whole reason why we did it we wanted and I I was very lucky to have managed managed um, a Harbour Devil side. I managed them from their under-14s up to their under-17s. Um, guys like Jared Palmer, who's now playing for Asquith. Um, but we saw guys like coming through there called Ben Creerer, who's the son of Rod Creerer, the former Wallaby yep. halfback. Ben went to Rugby Union. Um, we were playing against a Monovale side that had Tom Trevojevic yep. as, their, as their fullback. But you saw so many talented kids in that year. There was a, there was a very strong Avalon side as well too. Um, but as as these kids got older, you just slowly see them dropping away. And really, out of that Harbour Devil side now, Jared Palmer's still the only one playing rugby league. Out of that whole, out of all those boys that I've that I saw grow up as kids, and and that's and Jared was Jared was very talented. It was always him and him and Tom, but he got some injuries when he was playing manly rep football and did his knee, and he didn't really probably hit the peaks we thought he was yeah. going to hit. Yeah. But you know, if there was something there that those boys could have aspired to. So he'd gone from the A grade to a Peninsula Seagulls Sydney Shield to a Peninsula Seagulls Ron Massey Cup to dare I say maybe even the Peninsula Seagulls could have been the Canterbury Cup side. That was our goal. That was actually our goal. Our goal was to what and we never had the chat with Belrose but what we were actually wanting to do because we applauded Belrose for what they did and we didn't want to take we didn't want to steal any of their thunder but what we wanted to we had bigger fish to fry so our goal was to yeah go up in 
winger Ron Massey and hopefully then have that chat with Bell Race to be a Bell Race have a, to be a feeder club for, for us where we could drop players and bring players up uh, and stuff like that um, and then eventually well eventually you know that's it's all pie in the sky uh, stuff now but yeah if we if we could build on that and um, you know we were looking at at even trying to our hand see if we could get a licensed club up and running too so we could fund it and be able to and then say to Manly don't <laughs> so Manly don't have to go to Blacktown Workers we could say to Manly here we are and we're doing this for you but, uh, but they couldn't they couldn't see it they couldn't see the forest for the trees no we didn't have the we didn't have the support of the district we didn't have people and it, uh, people behind us and the proof in the pudding was that last game in our last year the last round we were supposed to play Bell Race up it was on a Friday night yep on a bell race. It was the week of finals as well and we were short on numbers. We had injuries and we were short on numbers and we were only going to we were only going to have 12 available players. But if we said to uh, but we had some players playing in A grade who we could bring up and we would have got 17 on the bench. Manly Junior League said that no players could play in the semi could play semi-finals if they played for the Seagulls. So that ruined and we had to forfeit bell race were livid and right so, because they had a big night planned. It was a Friday night. They were going to yeah. get a big crowd, but we weren't going to we weren't going to risk. Yeah, um, the players and we made the call. We got absolutely criticised. I got I got some nasty messages from some Belrose mates. Uh, Eric Galloway didn't talk to me for quite a while. But at the end of the day, it was it was you know if we had the district behind us, we would have been able to do that. And we were but always, you never did. But we you never, never did. did, and that was the problem. And now we find ourselves in this situation where we have junior numbers at the lower level that they are at and no Manly North A grade. Tell me about what's happening, what you're seeing now with Narrabeen, the last Manly North A grade premiers for the moment. They beat Barara last year in the grand final in the game we called on Triple H. They're one of the three teams alongside an impressive Cromer outfit and the returning Avalon from the wilderness after being absent for uh, a year, two years, for a year after winning back-to-back A-grade grand finals in this combined Southwestern Conference gold competition. What's it like? Oh, look, it's uh, it's actually good to be back involved uh, in the game. I've, I haven't uh, managed or sat or been uh, in, whether it's doing stats or, or managing a team since the uh, Seagulls folded in t- 2016. So it's nice to be back involved. Yeah, look, Narrabeen, they're a great club. They're a really good club. I still tell them that my, um, my allegiance is... Uh, Right or lay with the Seagulls, but being in there, um, it's really good knowing Frank. And I've known Frank McKee and Shane Bullock for a long time, the coach and assistant coach. Um, they're great guys, and you just get back in there and you see that they're um, that they're uh, that they they're foot rugby league people, and you get to meet the guys. There's a couple of familiar faces in there, but once you're involved in a football club, it doesn't really matter what colour you're wearing; it's all the same. Just a good bunch of blokes who love their game, going through. The, the competitions. Yeah, what sort of standard is it? Look, I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say it is. Um, not, not up to Sydney Shield, perhaps. No, no. There's a couple of players. There's a couple of players in the side who I think would would be more than uh, more than capable of playing Sydney 
Sydney Shield. Um, I don't think it's at the level it was, say, in 2012-2013 in those last sort of A grades. But, you know, there's um, you can see that the, the passion's still there and there's guys there because they want to play. There's no money in it, um, but Narrabona are a very, very well-run club. I didn't realise how actually well-run they are. They've got uh, the likes of uh, Tony Cooper there. Oh, Secretary, yeah. Who's it's just, been a long-standing, uh, salt-of-the-earth sort of person. She's, she's, a, she's a wonderful person. Absolutely. And, she's, um, and what they do, it's amazing because when we were at the Seagulls, we, you know, there'd be there'd be a lot of things that I'd be doing. And when I first went to the club a few weeks ago and said, oh, do you need me to do this? Do you need me to do that? Oh, no, no. No, that's all handled. That person handles that. That person handles that. They're a really well-oiled machine. Um, and that's what I really like about um, what they're what they're doing there at Narrabeen. And, you know, at Valley, we only had a 19s, a, a reserve grade and A grade. This is from under sixes all the way up. So it's good to see um, a club that goes across the whole spectrum. Well, how important is something like that for the future? Because here we are now. You mentioned Matt Brown earlier. There are some people that said that he perhaps should have fought harder for the Manly sides that did stick their hand up. The Narrowena episode where they stuck their hand up very late and then couldn't put a team on the field when push came to shove and then were summarily punted, yep. as was the case with all sides that have forfeited in these first three weeks. Yep. But how important is it that people like Tony Cooper, like that well-run clubs like Narrabeen, are there for the future to bring kids back? Where do we get kids back to overcome the negative press that we get? Because Andy Patterson mentioned last week that he overhears conversations that I'm not going to have my son playing the game when you have AFL pouring the dollars that they do in these parts. The anecdotal stories we're hearing there. Soccer has always been strong in these parts. Yep. And this is probably the only part of Sydney where rugby union is still the number one code, to oh, be honest. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, and I've got no I've got no qualms in saying that um, I think to all the four codes, uh, rugby league is running a distant fourth. Um, yeah, there has, has it become a minor sport? I don't think it's become a minor sport because I think the Seagulls still have obviously quite a... Uh, the, quite a the pen franchise. Correct. Yeah, I think they've still got a huge identity around this market. Um, I think what we've though seen and what we've known for years what fickle supporters the Manly Seagulls are and I think that is also what you're seeing in the in the junior leagues as well. We, we, what we need to do is, is we, we've got to get kids back to the game. A lot of the parents are worried out there about their kids getting hurt. So I think we've got to change this to a weight category um, rather than an age category. Um, but I also think what we also need to do um, is, and it's tough because everything costs money, but I think they have got to get some funding into the, into this area where kids up until the age of 13 don't pay. Um, their parents, you know, it's not a burden on their parents. Yeah, sure, they've got to go out and buy their boots and stuff like that. But a, South, a South's Juniors type of arrangement yeah, where so it's all paid for. Registration is paid for. Now, obviously, it's got to be paid for somewhere, but that's where you get the administrators in there, the strong administrators who can who can garner up all that all that support and get some sponsorship dollars that have that covered for. I think that will would help numbers. Obviously, the a huge byproduct of, of influx into the game were the premiership victories of, of Manly. I think you saw you would see yeah. the junior league numbers spike after their premiership yeah. victories. Don't and also let it be known too that the in the lower age groups, your sixes to nines, maybe even tens, the numbers are still strong. The numbers are still very, very strong. It's just when the kids start to get older, they said they start to drop away. Is, and it, I think the, is it computers and laptops and iPads and all of that? Does, I think that also plays a, a huge part in it. And that's why I think we need 
proactive people out there and we also need strong administrators but we also need help from the top. This is where Andrew Demetrio at the AFL, he was a tyrant with all that extra money coming in from the TV deals. He was an absolute tyrant making sure that that money went down to the grassroots level. Didn't get caught up high in any other No layers of bureaucracy being built. It went all the way down to the bottom and it took a while but he built up a strong foundation and now look at the foundation that they've got and where they're going for. That is the blueprint that the NRL needs to not only for for the Northern Beaches, the country needed. Countries in about as bad state as what they are on the Northern Beaches but for all districts. Yes, you can work off the successes of the ones out in the western suburbs like your Parramatta's, your Penrith's and stuff like that. But that's banking the farm and the Polynesian sector as the future of the game but that's just one sector not all all sectors you need all sectors. It's it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of hard work and it's going to take a lot of years a lot of years and there's going to be some you know there might be a few butting of heads but if people can put the ego aside that's what Steve Gear and I used to say when we started the Seagulls leave your ego at the door and think about the bigger picture and I think that's what we need to see in, in this great game of ours one last question before I let you go for Matt Brown to have something to defend and a lot of people think that he didn't fight hard enough to keep the Manly North's A grade standalone this year he's going to need some sides to come to the party more than the five that we've got Barara Andy Patterson is adamant that they'll be back next year one question will we see a standalone Manly North's A grade competition again I don't think so. I don't think so. I think a lot of the damage that's already been done uh, has been done. I'd love to be proven wrong, but the way it's going, I can't see it happening. Well, that being the case, um, does that mean that the game is a casket case in these past? In these past, do we turn out the lights and lock the doors and close down the bridge? Obviously, being a rugby league fan, I want to say no. But I think there's people running the game that have no foresight. To what's going in, and it's the old, you know, the old uh, idea of, um, you know, what's the theory of lunacy or whatever it's called. I've forgotten the name. Oh, yet. you're thinking the theory, the, the theory, theory of, of uh, doing the same thing over and over expecting again, a expecting a different yeah. result. Madness or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we're just we're just beating the the, the same drum, and and it's 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 not working. And I think there's insanity. Not, insanity. That's the word I'm looking for. And yeah, I think what we're what we're seeing is just. Yeah, we're not seeing enough work being done, and um, I think I think there's a lot of people have just sort of washed their hands with the, with, the, with the game, which is sad. And it's when, when you, but when you see things like this going on, you can also sort of say it's understandable in a way, especially for when you've loved the game so much and tried your hardest to keep keep it alive, and then you just see through whimsical decisions by other people, um, and yet you, you scratch your head sometimes and go, can't they see the what we're, what we're trying to do is for the better of the game but sometimes I think people um, yeah can't see the forest for the trees on that note we've run out of time we've in fact overstayed our welcome a little bit we could go on for another couple of hours but we'll leave it at that let's see what the future brings let's hope that we can have a better discussion in years to come about the future health if any of rugby league in the Northern Corridor it's been a pleasure as always Steve Woodley I know you've got your battles personally coming up 
in coming weeks and months. We wish you all the best. Thanks, we want We want to see you back on your feet very shortly. Many thanks for your time. Good on you, Tony. Thank you, mate. That's it for another edition of Splinters. Part three with Terry Liberopoulos of this Death of the A-Grade special is coming up in future weeks, but we'll have another edition of Splinters next week at the same time on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on Triple H and on the Triple H website and again at podcast.com shortly after. Until then, that's it for Splinters. Goodbye. Goodbye.